Nader, it's wonderful to have you here today. All right, and I think what we must do is kind of shift our focus or our thought process away from if we get breached to when we get breached, uh, and because you can get a hundred, two hundred different findings in an assessment, but your threat landscape should dictate and help prioritize those specific actions you need to take uh, action on first, and then let the other ones fall uh, based off of your capabilities and your bandwidth. Your things is having a an incident response plan in place and socialized. That is the true only way that you can understand what will happen during the breach. But security is everyone's responsibility. As a um, security-driven organization or having that culture of security, accountability is very important. You know, it's a great saying from Mike Tyson, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning into another episode of Scale to Zero. I'm Purushottam, co-founder and CTO of Cloudanix. Scale to Zero is a forum where we invite security experts to learn about their journey and discuss on security topics and get some answers for uh, questions that we have received from some security professionals. So with that, let's get started into uh, today's episode. For today, we have Nader Javeri. Uh, Nader is a senior manager uh, in incident response and remediation for Mandiant, which is now part of Google Cloud. He has over 15 years of experience in IT security, infrastructure, and risk management. Uh, He has led both investigation and remediation efforts for clients, and he also provides strategic and tactical recommendations uh, in order to prevent future attacks. Nader, it's wonderful to have you here today. For our viewers who may not know you, do you want to briefly share about your journey? Yeah, definitely. Thank you. First, I'd like to start off. Thank you for having me on your show. Um, really excited. And just a little bit about my journey. Um, I started off my uh, career about 15 years ago. So before cybersecurity was really a, a, a true kind of thing in the general IT space. So I started your traditional IT person with help desk and desktop and turning into a system admin. But very clo- uh, quickly, I started to always have a security focused mindset, which then got me into uh, security departments uh, within organizations. And like the first seven years, I was uh, part of security departments in organizations and of the last seven last eight years of my career i've been in what is considered consulting uh consulting for many different fortune 500 fortune 100 clients across the world and just kind of consulting from a risk management as well as now in the last four to five four and a half years with mandiant being part of the incident response team uh, as well as the remediation team during an actual active investigation and breach Lovely. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, so the way we uh, do the show is we have two parts. One is the security questions and the other one is uh, the rapid fire. So let's start with the security questions. Um, so nowadays we hear a lot about uh, data breaches, ransomware attacks. So most organizations, they do preparation, they do planning, budget, put the infrastructure and processes in place. But suppose with all of the planning and preparation, there is still a data breach that happens. What should, like, how should organizations respond to an event like that? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And and one thing I will say is because 
every week I'm handling multiple investigate new investigations a week. I have a very unique perspective in a lot of times these are a lot of the organizations that are getting breached. They have spent a lot of money and effort to help secure their environment, but mm-hmm. that still doesn't prevent them from getting breached. All right. And I think what we must do is kind of shift our focus or our thought process away from if we get breached to when we get breached. And because at some point in time, an organization will get breached. It's just a matter of how major and minor, how can we limit the impact of the breach? That is the way we should definitely shift our focus. Because if you are putting all this money into, I'm, I don't want to get breached. And then you happen to get breached. It's a big time demoralizing factor for morale of the entire team and also leadership. So, I think it's really a shift focus on that and really want to focus on how can we limit the impact of the breach? Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, let's say uh, you have all the preparation, everything in place, right? Uh, you are in a breach. Uh, you, how would you like, so there are many perspectives, right? Uh, there are many areas rather like there is communication. How do you communicate with internal team, external team? Uh, after the damage, like incident event has done, uh, event is done. How do you repair your damage to the, your reputation, and how do you rebuild the trust uh, with your end users so that they come back to you and they bring their business back to you? Right. Uh, that's that's a great question. This is something that you know we see all the time. Is one of the major things is having a an incident response plan in place and mm-hmm. socialize. That is the true only way that you can understand what will happen during a breach. And and it's not always the case, right? And then one thing is testing your incident response plan. Uh, so once you have an incident response plan in place, it is socialized. Both leadership and technical uh, practitioners have an idea of what uh, needs to take place, who are the people that need to be informed, the escalation strategies, Testing that, so coming up with tabletop scenarios, uh, both executive and technical, to be able to see during situations, um, are you following your incident response plan? And if you're not, that's fine. Now we have to revise the way that your actual IR plan is because there's a one, you know, it's a great saying from Mike Tyson. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And that's really what a breach is. Uh, So kind of the, the cheapest route to really test your IR plan and you don't want to be testing it during an actual live incident is doing Mm -hmm. like a tabletop exercise where you can try to simulate just from a tabletop. And then once you have a better understanding, then we can get into more of a simulated attack with the actual technical simulations in place, like purple teaming and things like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It makes sense. Like it's very much like uh, doing your, like for, from an engineer's perspective, right? Like doing your testing in production versus a pre-prod or a QA environment, right? Yeah, You do exactly. all the preparation in a lower environment and then you sort of move your code to production. Yeah, it's or like, doing the load testing and stuff like that. Yeah. Exactly. You never want to change the tire as the car is moving. <laughs> and exactly. Right, and one of the things I, I forgot to mention is like during those exercises, right? When you're having those tabletop scenarios, that is where you'll be able to bring in Illegal counsel, internal legal counsel, external legal counsel, your comms team, your social mm-hmm. media team. Uh, those are a lot of times the first time all those teams have been together with the incident response team. So having that type of scenario where you can bring in all the teams together, how now once we 
are aware of the breach? Do we have to report? What type of uh, reporting has to be done? How can we at least be transparent, but not give the full divulge the entire information? Because a lot of times, once you promote or once you divulge that you've been breached, that just opens the door for other like copycat attacks to try to go and right. knock at your door as well. Right, right. No, that uh, makes sense. That absolutely makes sense. Um, so uh, the the next question that I have is most of the organizations, what they do is along with the incident response plans, they focus on uh, the, like improving their security posture, right? And one of the ways is to uh, getting, uh, one of the ways is to get certifications like SOC 2s or ISOs or HIPAA, all of those, right? So what's your take on, uh, like what's the right time to invest in uh, certifications versus overall security posture and is certification enough or there there is something beyond certification as well yeah so so definitely uh i come from the life of being one a lot of those kind of risk assessments from standards and frameworks so i understand the need for it and so the mm -hmm. need for it is based off of your regulatory standard based off of certain contracts you want to win you have to have certain uh, certifications, but as long as the organization itself knows that that is not enough, uh, you have to, a lot of those are, you know, wanting to know the processes in place, the, the documentation side, which is very important, uh, but understanding from the technical aspect of it during like these threat simulations, during these certain attacks, that is kind of, you always want to verify and validate these types of things with, of course, red team exercises with the purple teaming, as I mentioned, always trying to test your security team to the limit, especially with new attacks, new ransomware gangs that are coming out. They have different styles of attacks and just know your threat landscape. Once you know your threat landscape, you will be able to truly understand what type of additional kind of validations that need to take place for your organization to feel like we are as secure as we can get. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the things that you highlighted, which is very critical, is the threat landscape, right? Mm -hmm. uh, understanding that helps you in determining where do you stand in your security journey and what what maybe what's the right next step. Like there is there will always be tons of things to improve in security, but what's the right next thing, right? So yeah, yeah it'll help prioritize because mm -hmm. you can get a hundred. 200 different findings in an assessment, but mm -hmm. your threat landscape should dictate and help prioritize those specific actions you need to take uh, action on first, and mm -hmm. then let the other ones fall uh, based off of your capabilities and your bandwidth. Yeah. So one, one of the things that, again, you highlighted is the prioritization, right? And it always depends. Uh, it always varies organization to organization, teams, like between teams, it's also different. That so, what, like when it comes to that, it's always about what kind of culture the company has, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you have worked on, with many organizations. Uh, like according to you, is security more of like a bottom-up thing or a top-down? Uh, if you have any examples that you want to share to highlight that, that would be amazing. Yeah, no, if you'll ask me, the real short answer is it's a top-down. Security has to be top-down, and that's 10 times out of 10. Both, I can tell you anecdotally. So as I mentioned, the first seven years of my uh, career, I was 
in uh, a general kind of security analyst, a system admin position, security architect a position. And I would, you know, do regular reviews of my environment and then come up with recommendations. Those would always fall on deaf ears. And then lo and behold, a couple of months later, they we have a high priced consulting agency come in and provide those almost exact same recommendations that I've been trying to uh, implore my organization to implement. And when they had mentioned it, the leadership started to take heed. And, um, you know, that that's becomes kind of disheartening. And, and I know this happens a lot, but uh, after a while, and it, it was kind of more of towards the end is when my own leadership started to see that the recommendations I was providing was very similar to the recommendations they were getting from a lot of those consulting agencies, mm -hmm. they started to take a lot of my recommendations with a lot more credence, which, you know, helped with now they started kind of uh, had a better voice within the organization. So if you're out there and you have, and you're having this, you're in the same boat where you are making recommendations and then a couple of months later, you have a report from some third party organization that's essentially saying the same things you've been bemoaning your organization about, you know, do not, uh, do not get discouraged. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it could very well change similar to how it changed my life. So that was like my first seven years. Right. Uh, and then after that, I moved on to my, in the last eight years being in consulting where I was, I was that person I dreaded. Uh, I was mm -hmm. that third party <laughs> that would come in either during a proactive risk assessment or technical validation or technical assessment, or even during an IR. And that then became a big process of, I had the ear of the CISO, the director of security, the CIO, the board. And when they had the ability to make a decision and open up sometimes their checkbooks or open up like, okay, now we're going to put things on the back burner and prioritize the security uh, commitments, mm -hmm. that was when that organization made true leaps and bounds. So it's definitely top down because they are the ones who are going to be able to help prioritize major projects and get things off of your plate. Or if you need a third party to come in and, uh, you know, pay, uh, pay for that, then they'll be able to do that like that. Yeah. Um, so that, that makes sense because, uh, they are like the sounding boards in the organization, right? Like, it always comes down to the leadership, uh, how they are sort of pushing the team towards the security direction. So yeah, uh, makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to talk about uh, data privacy a little bit. So uh, there are many security analysts who claim that human error is the biggest factor to it, like the biggest factor to data privacy. Uh, and there have been many phishing attacks or social engineering attacks to sort of steal the employee's data and then through that, uh, get access to customers' data. Like there were significant attacks to Twilio and Cloudflare. What's, what steps would you recommend uh, organizations uh, take to prepare for such attacks? Yeah, definitely. Uh, one of the things that we've seen a lot, uh, and it's been hitting a lot of the news wires as well, is um, what is called like MFA fatigue, where a threat mm -hmm. actor simply puts multiple uh, MFA requests, multiple logins to then produce an MFA push notification if you're using a smart uh, smart app. And mm -hmm. after a while, you will 
a lot of people are, you know, trusting by nature, right? Or mm -hmm. a lot of times just to stop the notifications from happening, they will simply click approve. Mm -hmm. And bam, now the threat actors in your environment. And this has happened across multiple organizations. I We still face it um, every week or so we'll have an organization get popped via that method so one of the things is one of the major recommendations i always uh, do that is you know put move away from that push notification move and move totally towards a one-time password yes that is going to be of a, a major hassle for your user base but mm -hmm. the security implications that's been happening is it's going to be major and what just recently happened is so Microsoft and Azure started getting that, like the Azure started being the brunt of a lot of the attacks and seeing that mm -hmm. they were, their Azure MFA was being abused with that massive uh, MFA fatigue. What they did recently and just came out is what they have is um, number matching. So mm -hmm. when you are putting a push notification or MFA request, there is a number you have that is on the screen that you must put in your phone that will be able to say, okay, yes, I'm, it's actually a human behind it, or I am actually putting this in. Uh, they also have the ability to do geolocation. So you could see like, hey, you have a login coming from some country that you are not in. That is, that'll be some, a major red flag. So that's a mm -hmm. major step that Azure has been doing. And a lot of other organizations, you know, uh, other third party or other MFA providers, try to get to the one uh, time password. It is the biggest way because MFA, there's many ways now. MFA is a big thing, right? To at mm -hmm. least have MFA in place. But even after you have MFA in place, that doesn't put you in the clear. Yeah, uh, makes a lot of sense. And I think uh, um, for the last couple of years, uh, many security experts were recommending MFA. And then this MFA fatigue thing uh, has been kicking in. So now folks are looking into hardware keys or yep, FIDO-based yep, FIDO 2, UB keys, exactly. things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, that will mm -hmm. be, of course the best case scenario so like for example that azure number matching uh scenario that just that we just it just came out recently with microsoft mm -hmm. we literally implemented uh, azure number matching for a client during an actual active incident response because the oh, wow. threat actor was getting kicked out uh we got in the threat actor got in we kicked them out and they just got another uh person's username password okay. and came back right in by the push notification. So once what we did was try to implement the Azure number matching, we were able mm -hmm. to implement that number matching over 100,000 users in just weekend. So it oh, is wow. quick changes, things that can happen fairly quickly, massive, massive. And that was the only way to kick out the attacker because it, it they had 100,000 users. There's credentials out there for almost everybody on the internet through major through breaches, right? As we know, with um, mm -hmm. all the breach uh, notifications and things like that on some sort of dark web somewhere, just a matter of them credential stuffing and getting into a, an environment. So yeah, we were able to implement that. But best case scenario would be to use a hardware FIDO2 type of key to implement your best two-factor authentication for sure. Right, right. That uh, makes sense. It's one like it's great that you guys could uh, uh, implement the Azure number matching over a weekend, right? Sometimes yeah. these implementation take uh, like months, if not weeks, yeah. for uh, improving your security. So yeah, that that's an amazing win. So that's uh, one of the things about being an incident response is there's two major things that happen. One, mm -hmm. the checkbook opens up, so now security <laughs> is not 
uh, you don't have to penny pinch on security things, mm -hmm. but also security is now the foremost in priority. And, you know, yeah. now we are willing to have a little bit of disgruntled users mm -hmm. if this is truly going to help us. And during active uh, incident where you're getting uh, the, this specific threat actor came in multiple times, started harassing the user mm -hmm. base. There's, you know, it was the only way to truly uh, work in the implementation, the quickness of it is just a testament to how uh, Azure has been set up and also how the organization was able to help prioritize it. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Uh, makes a lot of sense. So um, so I want to dig a little deeper into this topic, right? So we, you did all the, let's say the organization did all the preparation and all. Now, if you're in an attack, uh, how should organizations react during that and after the attack? I think you touched on how should they react during the attack, but how should they react after the attack is uh, done? Yeah. No, well, actually, let's let's take this MFA fatigue scenario and just kind of start pulling the thread a little bit. Let's mm -hmm. say your organization has been popped with MFA fatigue, where through a push notification, an admin or another user has been uh, compromised. Mm -hmm. You know, during the investigative portion, you know, some what well, I like to call this step zero because it's more of a whack-a-mole is once you're able to find out what IP or what country that uh, user has been coming from that is unauthorized, being able to implement a block policy, both at the external firewall or even at the conditional access policy level. I call this whack-a-mole mm -hmm. because you could just spin up another IP address and come in. Right. Yeah, yeah. But but then, you know, if you know to, if you start to see going back through your incident and you start to find a better date of when that initial access occurred, unauthorized access, and then the mm -hmm. MFA enrollment starts to happen, what you can do is, you know, in the past seven days, all new MFA enrolled devices will be taken off because that's exactly what threat actors do. They Once they get in through one time, they then try to enroll their device so they don't have to keep put, doing the push notification back and forth. So mm -hmm. then being able to remove all newly registered devices, whatever time period we have, let's say seven days in this instance, mm -hmm. away from uh, the organization, yes, certain legitimate users will be impacted and they'll have to re-enroll, but... Uh, that'll be a good kind of indicator of if they have to re-enroll, you can then add another capability, which Microsoft just came out with, if we're going to use like an Azure scenario, is using the MFA enrollment has to be through a certain IP range. So then let's uh, say it has okay. to be from your public VPN or has to be internally mm -hmm. at a uh, on-site location. That way you're not getting random device mfa device enrollments from the outside which is what was happening with a lot of these cases uh, i like that approach that uh, microsoft has taken right that yep. location based or re like your ip the range number matching based, uh, yep correct. and, and yeah, of course yeah. do the number matching as well if mm -hmm. you to mention that yeah too. the last question that i have is uh, all of this comes down to uh, the organizational culture right security uh, like the organization and team of course you have to work together uh, and you have a unique, uh, you, you have a unique uh, perspective, right? I, I would think because you have worked with many organizations and every company has unique culture, like in, either they are engineering driven, sales driven, security driven. So as a security leader, what methods would you recommend to sort of bring awareness and develop a security centric culture in an organization? I think one of the big 
kind of organizational cultures that has to be implemented is accountability. It it sounds very cliche, but security is everyone's responsibility, right? Mm -hmm. But when you're an engineering driven or sales driven organization, a lot of the responsibility lands on the shoulders of the engineering team, the sales team. But as a um, security driven organization or having that culture of security, accountability is very important because it'll just take one user to get a phishing email, to approve Mm -hmm. a false MFA uh, response. And the entire organization can be compromised because it just one user, then the escalation of privileges, the lateral movement, and an entire organization could be compromised. So accountability is key and, and making sure your workers, your team is accountable in terms of understanding that their role and responsibility and security is just as strong as the security team because they uh, it just takes the weakest link to be able to get into an environment. Uh, makes a lot of sense. So now, how do you, uh, let's say you earlier talked about um, like having security being top-down uh, approach, right? So how do you influence the mindset of your teams in an organization so that they appreciate the investment which is being made in the security? And how do you ta- uh, tackle that across cultures as well? Yeah, so one of the ways to kind of help influence, uh, depending on the level, if you're going at this at the C level or at the practitioner level, is to kind of one what for for myself coming in from the front lines, uh, giving real life scenarios, being able to understand the threat landscape, so uh, understanding the the need for certain security measures to be in place, you know. One thing is always regularly communicating with your leadership on what is out there. Like, for example, if you recall back when 2020, whenever um, pandemic first started, uh, one of the major ransomware groups was Maze, right? So Maze Mm -hmm. ransomware was just getting every organization under the sun. Uh, They came out with their uh, side and their doxing side, and they were coming out and really uh, extorting a lot of organizations and encrypt and encrypting a lot of files and pushing that out. And it was regardless of your uh, industry, they were Mm -hmm. just kind of indiscriminate, but understanding the threat landscape, like, Hey, this is a organization. This is a, now it's a fully functional organization, almost this ransomware uh, as a service where they have, different teams. So the way the ransomware works now is they have an initial access team. They have a lateral movement team. They have an encryption team. They have multiple teams and who are really good at what they specifically do running and not just, let's say one or two people in their mom's basement anymore. It's a, mm-hmm. it's an organization. It's almost two or an organization going against another organization and, and understanding that gravity of the situation of what is currently in place will be able to kind of change a lot of mindsets. It won't change everybody, right? A lot of Mm -hmm. times it takes an organization to get breached to finally realize that they need to focus a little bit more on security and not as much on, let's say, DevOps or sales or things like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Makes a lot of sense. And one thing that you highlighted uh, is communication, right? And Mm -hmm. uh, that you, you are spot on. That is very important that you have to communicate your security 
plan security strategy to the entire team, entire organization, so that everybody is on board uh, on that. So yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, and mm-hmm. that's a that's a great way to end the security questions as well. Uh, here are the few things which stood out for me. The first one is for incident response, always prepare a plan and socialize that within the organization and perform tabletop or fire drill exercises to check for the preparedness of those. Second one is to avoid social engineering and doxing attacks. MFA is a must. And on top of that, use one-time passcode based or hardware key based authentication to improve the security even further. The third one is security is everyone's responsibility. And accountability is one of the key areas to building a security-centric culture. So let's move on to the rapid-fire section. So the first question is, if you were a superhero of cybersecurity, which power would you choose to have in you? Oh, that's a tough one. Um... If I could have a superpower, it would probably be, let's say, if I get into an IR, I have the ability to find out and immediately know what the initial access vector is of how that threat actor uh, came in. One, it'll improve the investigation time a lot, mm-hmm. but also help with the containment remediation steps that need to take place. If I had that immediate uh, superpower of knowing exactly how they got in, I think that would be amazing. That makes a lot of sense. With with the number of attacks that we see nowadays, it's a very powerful, uh, very powerful. You're getting a lot of power, right? So yeah, mm-hmm. it definitely makes a lot of sense. Uh, what what advice would you give to your 25 year old self uh, starting in security, and why? So 25 year old me, I would definitely tell him to learn about cloud and cloud security. Uh, so that'll be a little less than 10 years, uh, 10 years back. And mm-hmm. cloud was still a very negative thing to a lot of IT departments, to a lot of leadership and getting into cloud early on and then getting into specifically cloud security at its mm-hmm. infancy stages would then allow me to have better conversations, would allow me to be more prominent in within the cloud security uh, knowledge space. Makes a lot of sense. Um, so the last question is, uh, and we ask this to every guest is what, are, how do you stay up to date? Like, uh, do you have, can you share like three blogs or books or websites where you go to stay up to date on security? Yep. Yep. Um, I would say number one is info Twitter. So infosec Twitter is the greatest way to get up to date on latest blogs that are out from major organizations, the latest threats, latest vulnerabilities. Um, you know, there's multiple kind of lists within Twitter that you can just have an infosec list, which is of like 2,500 infosec specialists across the world. That is, I would say Twitter is probably the best way to stay up to date. Uh, number two, for more kind of detailed step-by-step guides, more detailed conversations, Medium. Medium is a great way. Uh, get a Medium account. Ensure that you know whatever specific topics you're interested in, get those tagged up. And then anytime new things are brought up in that Medium article, you'll be able to get it right away. Um, and the third would be um, not really a website, but an app. So like 
uh, I I use what is called like Feedly. Feedly is just a conglomeration of a bunch of RSS feeds, and they have a great kind of cybersecurity section. It's a app that's on iPhone. I don't know if it's on Android, but it's on iPhone. And all you have to do is just start adding the various different RSS feeds, and they have a great cybersecurity section that you can easily start adding right away and you'll be able to get the latest blogs latest uh, news and updates straight from there as well oh lovely so we'll make sure to uh, sort of add all of this information when we publish the video so that our viewers can uh, go to these sources and learn mm-hmm. more um so yeah thanks Nader. uh thank you it so was much great to speak and learn from you uh for folks who might have more questions or want to connect with you what's the best way to reach out to you yeah I guess the two best ways is um, hit me up on Twitter at Nathers Avery. Uh, it's going to be within the description uh, of this video, as well as LinkedIn. Same Nathers Avery. Just type my name in on LinkedIn. Uh, I answer to pretty much everyone who sends me a message uh, just about what's happening and the latest trends, or wanting to have some mentoring or advice. I'm I'm really uh, open to communicating with anybody and everybody. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for coming uh, to the show and sharing your knowledge with uh, our viewers. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, And to our viewers, thanks for watching. Hope you have learned something new. If you have any questions around security, share those at scale2zero.com. We'll get those answered uh, by an expert in the security space. See you in the next episode. Thank you.